Hi friends, welcome to the Connected Families podcast. I'm your host, Stacey Bellward. Our purpose in this podcast is to guide you to receive God's grace and truth, and then to equip you to pass that grace and truth on to your children. I'm so glad that you're here with us today. Well, today is going to be practical as any episode is practical that we have done. We're going to be talking about how to set up daily rhythms that support a child's sensory needs. It's going to be good. I'm excited. Well, joining on today's podcast is Lynn Jackson, co-founder of Connected Families and author of the online course, Sensitive and Intense Kids, Navigating Parenting Challenges with Purpose and Hope. Well, that online course is going to be released in early 2023. We're excited for that. It's a deep dive into what's going on under the surface and how that fuels daily life, both for our kids and for parents. So Lynn, welcome to the podcast. Hey, I am excited to be here today. I'm super excited about our guest. I know we're going to introduce her in a few minutes, but I want to ask you a little bit about the new online course that we're producing right now. And I'm just wondering, what was it about this topic that caused you to set aside two days a week, Lynn, to write it for like the last couple of years? You put a lot into it. So where did that come from? Well, I feel like there's more and more kiddos that are just struggling on a deeper level than kids have struggled in previous generations. And parents aren't, they just don't always have a toolkit full enough to deal with the challenges that they're facing these days. And so we just wanted to help the parents of that 15 to maybe 20% of kiddos that are just more sensitive and intense, and they just need some more in-depth tools and practical strategies to help those parents navigate those extra challenges. Well, I had the privilege of project managing the creation of so many of our online courses here at Connected Families. So you and I are working really closely right now on the project. And one of the things that I love about Sensitive Intense and the whole curriculum that you've created is the road to hope diagram. So as you teach it in the course, parents are going to have aha moments where they start to understand the cycles and the rhythms in their family and how they're, that's affecting them really. And then what's super exciting is then how they can change and grow. Okay. So why did you name it the road to hope diagram? Well, Jim actually coined it. We just called it the hope diagram because Uh it was just like parents intense need. And we felt that's what we were offering. But Jim kind of coined the road to hope diagram. And we just liked it because it's a journey. And that's such a common analogy. But that's really what it is. It's, you know, you just get started, you feel overwhelmed. There's so much going on in your home that you feel like you're in over your head, but it's one step at a time. And you just see those little bits of progress, then you slip back, but you keep making more progress. And it really is a journey of holding God's hand through the the difficult challenges till you begin to just experience more and more grace and peace in your home. And hope. So speak about that word hope, because I know that is just center to this curriculum. Right. It really does make such a difference. If parents feel hopeless, like this kid is never going to change, 
I can't do this. This is too much. What's it going to be like when he's a teenager? That just erodes our ability to, to deal with the everyday challenges. And there is such hope. And I feel like now that I've been in this parent helping business for 25 years, an awful lot of parents and families come from some really dark places to a place of solidly connected relationships and a lot of joy in the home. I have confidence to say, yes, there is hope. And we've learned enough in the last 20 years or so to really be able to offer the practical strategies that can give parents hope. I think that's just so powerful. And it just occurred to me that you probably would have never written this course 15, 20 years ago. Oh, no. It took the 25 years of wisdom. And I'm telling you, everybody, it's all going into this course. It's just beautiful, Lynn. It really is. Okay, well, let's move to today because I know that today's podcast has come out of the work you've done for Sensitive and Intense. We have invited a very good friend, Amy, to come on the show today. So Lynn, can you set up like how did this topic for this show come up and why did you want everyone to hear from Amy today? Well, in the process of making the course, there's been maybe half a dozen parents that just seem to keep coming back with great insights and practical things they've done with their kids and that I know that other parents could learn from. And so I get on my little Zoom calls and I connect with them and I record all the stuff. And Amy has been one of those key parents that's just had her heart next to Jesus as she has learned how to care for the sensitivity and intense giftings and challenges challenges in her family that I know other parents can learn so much from. So everyone, you can hear Amy's giggles. Amy, welcome to the podcast. (laughs) Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. We're we're really glad to have you here too. I feel like we should all have a cup of coffee and this is just like a friendly girls chat about life. That's what today is. I want to just read a little bit of your bio. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I think it gives a flavor so that everybody can kind of sense who you are. So you and your husband, and Andrew have been married 16 years. You live in Portland, Oregon, among the fir trees. You said that sounds really beautiful. You're a homeschooling mom. You have three intensely creative, adventurous, and very active children. In her spare time, you'll find Amy encouraging moms and homeschoolers learning alongside the kids or slipping away to read books, which you're in good company here with that, Amy, but you're passionate about creating family culture that equips our children to prepare and serve the Lord in the days ahead. So welcome, Amy. Thank you. Thank you. And I know those aha moments that Lynn was talking about as I worked with her over the last several years, Lynn has definitely helped me to come to those aha moments. So many things that helped our family. And so I'm excited to talk about them today. Great. How old are your children? Well, my oldest is 11. My middle child is just turned nine. And then I have a six and a half year old. So why don't you paint the picture for everyone? What was the before picture like when you first started to work with connected families? You first started to think this is beyond typical struggles that our families are having. You know, paint a picture about sensory and what that looked like. So tell us what life was like in the before. Let me say, I I moved to Oregon six and a half years ago, and we are Midwesterners by root. I'm from Iowa. My husband's from Minneapolis. And I also feel like there was like this before we moved to Oregon and after we moved to Oregon. Before we moved to Oregon, I just had the two kiddos. And right when we moved, my youngest was four months old. 
I would say before we moved, I maybe thought that I kind of had all the answers and I, you know, was the best parent on the face of the earth and my <laughs> kids could do all these things. And I, you know, probably should start an Instagram account and, you know, like start blogging about how to parent so great. <laughs> I had met Lynn and Jim at some workshops already by then and gotten lots of good stuff. And I must have just been really good at everything they said. You know, then I moved to Oregon and I didn't have any support. I knew no one when I got here. I showed up with a baby. And by then I already knew that one of my kiddos was just really active. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, everybody gets a little older and things get a little crazy. And you're like, okay, well, this is what it's like to have three kids. This is a little crazy. And then you go out and then you're like, okay, well... And you just, you know, you just kind of start seeing the busyness that happens and the endeavors that these kids take place. And then also, you know, sometimes the meltdowns that can happen. You, you don't want to look around, but sometimes when you're going through so much and you've got so much on your plate with your kiddos, it's it's kind of natural to, to look around. Is this happening to anybody else here? And, and I think it is. It really is. After you get to talking to people, there is a lot of other people that are struggling with sensory intense kiddos. So you just named the word sensory and intense. And I don't think we've actually said those words in our, in this podcast, in this episode yet, but that's what you came to understand was happening with a few of your kiddos. So describe that. What did that look like for the mom? Who's like, I, I don't know, is this sensory or not? I think what that looked like for me was just a whole lot of meltdowns. You move into a certain activity and you can't get it just right. And then you move on and all of a sudden things are quiet and somebody disappears. <laughs> you know, one of my kids is really curious and a big problem solver and at a very young age could get into a lot of different, even dangerous situations sometimes because they were so intensely curious. It's like that, that impulse control something that we had going on that was constant. And so what I found was, is that our family was very busy, for lack of better words, putting out fires uh -huh. <laughs> between the meltdown or keeping people safe or keeping people, you know, keeping up with all the things that they were wanting to do. And, you know, not wanting to cater to my kids, but just always felt like I was on eggshells to keep yeah. everybody alive. <laughs> So you were exhausted, Amy. I mean, I I mean how does mom do that? And I, we talked earlier that your husband was traveling a lot. So you're there in Oregon, you're, you're by yourself. You have the three kids a lot and you're putting out a lot of fires and just struggling to keep everyone safe every day. I got to get special locks on the doors for if someone was taking a nap, you know, people would yeah. escape. It was overly intense. It was, it was beyond the typical chaos of a family. And so I love that. So where we're going to go with our podcast today, and I think another reason Lynn really wanted you to come on is because you started to understand the sensory sensitivity and then to find solutions. And that looked like ways that you structured your day and tools that you used. So I'm going to throw it to Lynn because I know that she has specific things that she wants to pull out of the story that she thinks that many of our listeners will benefit from. So one of the things that struck me was how Amy, and I know Amy can be super organized, but also she's got her own little streak of sort of ADD going. <laughs> 
And, uh, I do. <laughs> I recognize for real. I got one myself. <laughs> My mother said I was the liveliest and messiest of five children. <laughs> I get people like Amy, but just how she worked to try to figure out what was the organization and the ideas that her family really needed to sort of bring some of the chaos down and bring more peace into their daily life. So just the, the question, what were key steps you took to organize yourself when you felt like you were drowning in chaos? I think the first thing was, is I had to find a sense of calm because with that, I mean, the idea of just putting out these fires to keep everybody safe and keep everybody fed and try to find some sort of peace and happiness. um, I just knew that that was not the trajectory. We were not headed in the right trajectory and I didn't know what to do. And so that did take the season of finding some calm and clarity. And that definitely came with just finding space to seek the Lord. I mean, that was just so clear. And when kids are getting up at all hours of the night, sometimes getting into things at all hours of the night, babies are crying at all hours of the night, and then up early. And then, you know, sickness keeps people up late, all the things. I had to find rest and I had to find a sense of peace. And so there were just different times where my husband helped me to just find those quiet times where I could kind of just escape and just bring things down a bit. I mean, I I feel like I was almost to the point where, well, one of my kids was in fight or flight is what I ended up learning. Mm -hmm. Lynn helped walk me through that to see what was going on. And that was some of the aha moments. It's like, wow, if you're in fight or flight and I'm in fight or flight, well, us together are putting everybody into fight or flight. And this is a disaster. you know. And in order to get anywhere, we had to bring things down a notch. And I think for too long, I was trying to parent out of a place of fight or flight. And that was not very effective. And so I really had to just stop and say, hey, there are things, there's behaviors going on here. There are things that I don't like what I'm seeing, but I can't address that right now until I can find some calm within myself. You know, and I wasn't getting up early because I wasn't getting enough sleep as it was at first, but um, my husband, as gracious as he was, would give me these pockets of time where I could just go away somewhere quiet and pray and ask the Lord for clarity. Other times it was just taking a walk. Anytime that we began to identify that we were sort of spiraling to that, you know, to that place that we didn't want to be, you know, we had for a while, I think it was the word zucchini, you know, zucchini, and then he'd open the door and I'd take a walk, you know, and we had to deal with that first. I mean, it was, wait a minute, Amy, wait a minute. We need that one. So your husband would come home from work and you'd be like, zucchini I'm out I think it was him identifying that I needed the walk and I think he would probably say it first or whatever you know thing it was or Amy darling (laughs) I need some zucchini or you need some zucchini today (laughs) take our take a walk you know and it was just that and you know these are habits right it's a habit to identify Mm -hmm. that we need to take a walk it's a habit to identify, it takes some work to even identify that I need to calm down. And I realized that that was sort of a process and a season that had to happen for us before anything else could be built inside our toolkit. It's sort of that rhythm. We used to teach this a long time ago, just about stop, breathe and get perspective. 
And, you know, you can do that in the moment with a quick, deep breath, just take a breath and get a little perspective, but stop breathing, get perspective is also a bigger picture thing of just, I need those times where I really do catch my breath in a significant way. And it sounds like that's what you're talking about, like Saturday mornings. And I know later you began to have a regular once a week babysitter that just gave you that predictable time slot to, to get that deeper breath and insight from God and where, where do we need now? And, you know, what's my next step? And that's just really indispensable. And, and I love that, that you prioritize that. Yeah. Getting that babysitter was really, it was a big financial investment for us to commit to. And it took us a while to get there, but man, once I did that, you know, I'm a homeschool mom. And so I'm with the kids all day and all evening. And there were times where I'd go out to Bible study or a discipleship group, but having that time during the day and that extra space to just do something else was so healthy for me. And anybody who just needs a break, that was just a really great point of just supporting me as a mom and supporting the work that I needed to do. I needed that break. Because you described as we were talking, how then you could kind of focus on the next step to, to help your family rhythms. And then you could just zero in on that, but you had the energy to do it. And then working on one thing helped it all to get more peaceful. And then you could go on to the next thing until it was like a momentum of peacefulness. And when you described that to me, I just thought that's so significant. And it started with the investment to have a weekly babysitter. So, but you know, Lynn, you also reminded me in one of our uh, sessions together that peaceful isn't always quiet. You know, there are times when I'd be home with the kids and I couldn't leave. And that's where it got really hard was I, I, the kids were little, I couldn't just leave the house and I had to find a way and deep breaths seemed to do nothing for me. And as you know, I was an athlete and key things that I found as a turning point for me was when I just, I could feel that temperature rising. That was, we did a lot of temperature work and starting to talk about like, oh, I feel hot inside. I'm feeling hot inside. I would, with the kids, tell the kids out loud. And that was modeling, right? I was saying, hey guys, I'm feeling hot inside right now. And mom needs to take a minute. And what I found is that I needed, because I'm a sensory intense kiddo too, is I Uh needed that movement, that push and that pull and that the joints. And I was a volleyball player. And so one of the things that I found to be really helpful and the kids knew it was I would wake up in the morning and I'd actually have my workout clothes when I got up in the morning so that I feel like I could like move. And when that heater started heating up, I'd say, Hey guys, I got to go do my volleyball jumps because my heater is heating up and I need to calm down. And a volleyball jump is like jumping up over the net, like a block. Oh yeah. I would literally jump up and touch the ceiling and I would do 10 volleyball jumps and I wouldn't just say one, two. Oh no. I would, I would, I wouldn't yell, but with a big, strong voice. Cause I'm kind of, you know, I, I didn't want to scare the kids, but I was one, two, like right yeah. there. Cause I, I, this is a situation where I couldn't leave, but I needed to calm down. And sometimes yeah. I had to do a couple sets <laughs> and it just got all my energy out. And I just, you know, blew off that steam that I needed to on that wall or that ceiling. And I got the exercise I needed and then I could take a breath and then we could do a redo. <laughs> it just worked for us. I love all of this. Cause you found what worked for you and that's key for so many people because learning what they need when their body heats up could be different. Someone else, it it could be very different. It could be rocking or walking or gardening or just so many different things. Well, we're going to go to a break. 
And after the break, we're going to keep going with this conversation because I know that we have a list of very practical things that you have also done and implemented in your home that we want to get to. So stay tuned. Do you have one really intense child or a couple? Almost every family in the Connected Families community has at least one child who is more sensitive and more intense than the other kids. Often what worked for your other kids doesn't seem to work for this intense child. Well, don't pull your hair out in frustration or try to force a square peg into a round hole. Some kids are different. It's a game changer when you learn some new parenting skills and can truly understand and empathize with your sensitive and intense child. Listen, you've got this and we can help. Our free online course called Seven Practical Calming Strategies for Young Kids will take you like 30 minutes and you'll learn seven activities that will help calm and organize your child's nervous system. These activities are fun and will be great in the morning if your child needs help waking up or even in the evening if your child needs help settling down for sleep. The Seven Practical Calming Strategies for Young Kids is a free online course. Our show notes have all the details or go straight to connectedfamilies.org. It's in the free section of the resources page. So go grab that today. Well, we're here after the break and the way we want to tackle this last half of the podcast is to really just learn from you, Amy, how you scheduled your day. How do you want to go about that? Well, I think we're just going to start at the the beginning of the day and just kind of go through those key times that are often sticking points for for parents and just tap into some of the creative ideas that Amy's come up with to just keep peace more predominant in her family and to just calm her kids' hearts and connect them with each other and all those fun things. So Amy, tell us about mornings in your house because mornings sure can be chaotic. Come on, everybody, let's get going. Oh man, they sure get can. Get your shoes on. Early <laughs> on, my husband and I'd say, it's like herding yeah. cats. You know, and there was just so I just had this dream of my kids coming to the table after doing their chores and then <laughs> us, you know, sitting down and learning together. And it's this beautiful time. And it was like herding cats. And I just felt a little out of control. And I didn't know what to do about it. And it's been a process, I'll tell you. And I think part of it was was, you know, in those times when I snuck away and tried to find calm and peace. I really had to think of what are my priorities here, you know, and what's doable? Like, like, what are my kids capable of? And like, what do they like? What are they doing well? And so oftentimes when I think, you know, this is sort of the beginning of the school year for us again, it's a fresh time to relook at that. And I say, what are we doing well? And I start there. Usually what they're doing well is definitely what they're capable of. And so in the morning, I want them to value work. And so chores is a piece of that. And so making their bed, you know, that, that was a little one that was hard for me to start with because I didn't actually make my bed until a couple of years ago when I wanted <laughs> them to make their bed. But a great homeschool mentor of mine, Charlotte Mason, she's actually lived a hundred years ago, but she mm-hmm. provides a lot of insight into the homeschooling world and children. And she says, a habit is worth 10 natures. And so I look into my day and I say, what are the habits that I can set my kids up with? and not too many. You have to start so small. And so just asking them to pick up something on the floor and make their beds. But if I'm going to do that, if that's like a new thing, 
then I have to be willing to follow through with it. So I don't ask, you know, anything of them that they're not willing to follow through with. But they're usually very motivated to say, um, do a game with me, right? And that's a very connective time for us. So it's something that we get up after we've had breakfast, we say, you know, go do your morning time and then we can da da da, you know, play a game or or go outside and do whatever we're gonna do next. And so yeah. I help them to do the chore and then we can go outside and do something together that feeds into some of those sensory needs that they have. All righty. And then what about schoolwork and table time? I know that you've talked about this is a really a, a herding cat situation to try to get them to sit down to do schoolwork for you. It could be homework for a regular school family, but the issues are the same. How do you gather the kids, help it to be peaceful when they actually sit down at the table to work? Well, I know that I needed a way to help them to be calm and music is really the key to that in our morning time. And I know other people are going to have other things, but music is such a powerful part of our lives. And whether it's hymns or folk songs, and there's this time of worship or joy with the folk songs, or um, actually classical music has been something that is just innately calming in us. So different days, we do different things. um, But in that kind of morning time hour before we're trying to get to the table, I help the kids and it took them a little while to say, hey, I'm going to play this music. And when the music is, it's kind of like musical chairs, right? They needed some sort of cue to know what was expected of them. And so, for instance, we play our hymn and our folk song in the morning, and they love that. It's so fun to hear them singing the Wellerman together, you know? (laughs) And um, when they know that that folk song, you know, they'll last year they're at the tables and they're banging on the table singing their song together but they they knew that that song was coming and after the song is done mom is asking them to come to the table and there's a period of time where I work with them on that right it's this idea of hey this is we have the conversation right this is what we want to do this is what we want to be about and so here's how we're going to do it and I'm going to play this music and we're going to have fun together and at the end of it let's meet up at the table. And there was a lot of reminding, but I stayed consistent because I didn't ask them to do it until I was ready. And when I was ready and I asked them to do it, it's just a part of our day now. And I think that when we have these like solid parts of our day that repeat that rhythm of the day that they can expect, it feels really, really good to them. The days I didn't turn on the music, we tried to start school and the kids are like, mom, you forgot to turn on the music. And I'm like, oh yeah, you know, because it, it felt good to them to have that rhythm there. Okay, Amy and Lynn, I have to break in here a little bit and ask for all the parents listening, how do the things that you described as far as the rhythms that you've set up, how do those meet sensory needs in the kids? Oh, yeah, that's such a good question. And music and rhythm is just so core to brain organization. So whether it's the rhythm of, you know, a day that has kind of a consistent flow to it, or it's the rhythm of a song. Anytime there's rhythm, it's predictable and predictability is calming and organizing to the brain. So there's two ways in which Amy's song transition was rhythmical. (laughs) It provided organizing rhythm that gets everybody functioning to the same beat. Everybody in the whole household is hearing and and grooving. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah. This same beat. But then there's the rhythm of the day. And those kids begin to depend on that rhythm. 
So as I've heard you talk, Amy, it's like you didn't just suddenly like create this huge structure to your day. You looked at one piece that was really difficult and you figured out what's the best way to provide the structure or the sensory experience that my child needs to do well in this time of day. And coming to the table is always chaotic and difficult. So a song will get us on the same page. There's there's a natural buoyancy and joy that comes with people's preferred songs. And so the mood elevates. Everybody's on the same page. It's a predictable rhythm to start the schoolwork. Does that answer your question? It does. And and I would say that I was a homeschool kid too. I remember like, you know, you get to your desk by 830. So it must have been something even in you as a homeschool mom to say, no, we can do a little chores and then we can go play, do something fun, and then we'll come in. So you were willing to throw that all up because you knew your kids needed some connection time before they sat down to hit the books. That's right. And, you know, one of my kiddos really struggled with any sort of reading and writing. It was just, we weren't there yet. The thought of it was just grinding to the soul to think of having to put a pen to paper. And when I saw that we just weren't there, that kiddo's not going to want to come to the table, no matter what song is playing and know how many times we did it. And so really what I had to do actually was I had to back up before we got to the reading and writing piece. And I provided, I said, come to the table and I provided activities that they loved. And that's when we did some of the, maybe more people know as sensory activities, the making gack and squeezing gack and doing the salt tray and making your letters in the salt tray and just doing some of those fun, even letting them do a dot to dot. And maybe there's not some real serious work there, but we weren't, some of my kiddos just weren't ready, even though other kids their age maybe were ready to sit down on the table and do that work. I just wanted to get them at the table. Mm -hmm. and sitting there. And once that became a habit, and once that became part of our routine, the idea of adding new times of learning became a little bit easier. We could ease into some other things after that. We accomplished getting to the table. (laughs) We let that lie for a while. And then gradually and slowly as the child was ready, we added new times of learning on top of that. Oh man, it's so good. Lynn, I can see why you wanted Amy to come on this podcast. (laughs) Because Amy, you just let go of expectations. Oh, you have to. (laughs) And how can I support them? And I can hear all the joy that you brought into it and just how the tone must have mattered. Okay, Lynn, what's next? Well, I just want to comment on that too, just because, you know, it's such a strong statement to a child of, I understand you. This is way harder for you than it is a typical child. And I'm not going to say, well, you're six years old. The developmental charts would say you should be able to sit <laughs> and do this X, Y, Z activity for 15 minutes before you need a break. I mean, that's just horrific to some kiddos. These really yeah, shaming to some kiddos with these really stressed nervous systems. And I love how intuitive you were about where are my child's abilities right now? And what's that next little just right challenge. And how can I support that with joy and sensory motor activities so that they just sort of naturally 
ease into these learning activities. So, well, and Lynn, I think what you were saying earlier about that hope piece, because I think that a lot of us homeschool moms are totally fine with our kids not being on the developmental charts. We're happy to work with that. But when we don't feel like we have any tools in our kit and our toolbox, and we don't know where to go, (laughs) that's where, you know, the fear can sneak in and it can just be really scary. Like, where where do we go from here now? And uh, that's where you and I were able to sort of unpack together and work together and and coaching sessions and whatnot to figure out what, what is going on here? What can help this kid? How can we move? forward. And all of a sudden, when we found those few things, you're exactly right. They provide that hope and that joy of you don't have to be like everybody else, but now we're changing and we're growing and that's exciting. And I'm so proud of you. Yeah. I could hear that in your voice so many times, just how proud you were of your kids. Well, tell us about quiet time. Um, in our little notes, it says quiet time is a necessity in your house. (laughs) (laughs) It is because kids' brains really do need downtime to be able to organize all the sensory information they're taking in during the stimulating times. They just need that rhythm, but it's sometimes very difficult for families with really active kids to, to achieve that. So Mm. how you manage to have a little daily quiet time in your house. Well, I found that if quiet time didn't happen, a couple of things happened. Mom wasn't happy (laughs) and you're just delaying the onset of it because you're right, Lynn, it just is so necessary. And so we built it into our day before it became, we became over, over in need of it, I guess, if you will. And so we just, you know, after lunch, right, that's just a beautiful time to say, okay, hey, we're going to all just take a break. And that has looked different over the years. And man, when my kids stopped napping, my oldest napped quite a while, longer than most. So then when I had two and then we weren't napping and my son stopped napping earlier, I was like, oh, now what? Now what do I do? And it took me a while. We we knew that we wanted rest. And so the question was, how do I get rest and how do they get rest? And sometimes (laughs) those two things don't always feel compatible for, for young ones. But we came up with a short list of a few things that worked really well for us. And we stuck with it and we just we just built it into our day. And if other things came up, very rarely would we we cross over that time. Because we what were some of the it. things that worked for you, Amy? Yeah, so audiobooks became a really, we're readers, we love stories, we just know the power of the, of the living ideas that can be come into our hearts through really good literature. But by the afternoon, I'm done reading. <laughs> and I need a break. And so that's where we put our audiobook time in is put on an audiobook and then we can all enjoy it and I could even lay on the couch and maybe get a nap in if I need to and it became that was just one thing that became a beautiful part of our day mm-hmm. and, I, and I know that your sensitive and dense one was busy with his hands during that time doing some sort of little handicraft or creative something rather is that right yeah that's right so when we read and so when some of my kiddos had a shorter amount of attention span to listen to stories the way to grow that was to help them keep their hands busy because some kids (laughs) some people can uh, keep their hands they just need to be very busy their minds need to be very busy and so crocheting knitting and even finger knitting for the youngest ones. Finger knitting just kind of happens on your four fingers. It's just looping the, the yarn over your fingers. And it became a very calming activity 
during the stories. And not only that, but I know Lynn, a lot of that work with the knitting and the crocheting is that midline work that is also mm-hmm. just very like neurologically calming. When my most sensory intense kiddo learned to crochet, oh my goodness, we had hours of quiet time. It was fascinating how engaging and calming it was for for that particular kiddo. And I would say even healing. And so I'm so thankful for those activities. Yeah, I love that. That little guy was just busy with his crochet hook and his knitting needles. And (laughs) all good. Okay, let's move on to dinner time. That's the classic chaos phase of family life. Because oftentimes, if there's a working spouse, that's home, then they're adding to chaos. If there's mm-hmm. not, then the, the parent that's there is just like booking it to try to get the meal on the table. Everybody's yeah. Everybody's Everyone's hungry. coming home from school even. So how did you bring a little bit of calm to those family dinners? Yeah. Well, you know, looping the kids into the dinner planning has always been fun. Then they're excited about the meal. But one of the things was, is just keeping the meals sort of in, it goes back to the idea of rhythm, right? So we have meatball Monday, we have taco (laughs) Tuesday, and we have wacky Wednesday, you know, and there's a couple other dishes that, that I kind of rotate in there. And it's so fun, you know, they're healthy and the kids cheer. And I think, again, there's just that feeling of stability and gratitude grounding but this familiar thing that I love is happening again and then they get to pick the meal that they want to help make with me so that I've got a dinner helper and that keeps one person out of the fray but my <laughs> husband is such a good team player with me you know I I do love to cook and so that kind of can tend to be like a nice decompressing time for me so he takes the kids but when it's time for dinner right when it's time to pull everyone together that's when everybody flies right and so we really wanted the kids to help and so we came up with a little rhyme my daughter's name is june and so we say june juice and so anyway we we shout it you know it's like time for dinner june juice parks plates and hudson hardware and then they all know their job and they you know sometimes someone's not happy about their job and then we you know we've learned to say hey it looks like you're having a hard time tonight let's help you out with your job tonight you know and then the next time when somebody else is having a hard time we can help out the other person and that's been good but everybody has a job and it sort of like rallies everybody in uh, another thing that I've done is I dish out the meals I, I bought these little bowls at Costco these they're really they were cheap and they were beautiful white bowls and I actually dish the the food family style in each of these bowls and then and everybody can grab something to bring to the table. And then when we're all done, you know, and we have one kid that just can't quite sit very long. So they have certain parameters and then they can get up. But when it's time, you know, to exit the table, everybody get your play setting and get two things to clear off the table. And that I think that requirement, again, that's that it's helping our family out because I don't want to be cleaning it up all by myself. But it gives them this rhythm, this expectation. There was a while where it was hard for to get help, to get people to come over. And those nights weren't very fun because mom and dad cleaned and we cleaned maybe a little extra. And we got to the end of the night and we didn't get to do anything fun. And we said, hey, how about next time we all get our parts to the table, we help clean up, and then we'll have extra time to do something together. And so we really try to wrap up dinner, clean up dinner, and then go do something fun together after dinner. Such a spirit of teamwork, such intentionality, Amy, in all of that to to bring them in in such a joy-filled way. 
that takes a lot of intention and thinking through on those times when your babysitter had the kids and you got to go on long walks and think through all that. This is impressive. Mm-hmm. We really just have a minute or two left. Lynn, is there, is there any final points that you'd like made? The thing that has struck me, it, it was sort of the thing that pushed me over the edge to say, okay, we're doing a podcast is just some of the creative ways you've helped your kids calm down when they are stressed. Because so often if parents go, okay, I can see you're getting all upset. We need to go do that, da, 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 you know, and then the kids will go, no, you just invalidated what I was upset about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so you've just done this in such a, a, a playful, kind way where you're, you're sort of keeping your fingers on the pulse of what's going on with your kids in terms of their energy and mood and, and just guiding them to do some things that help them to naturally regulate. So if you could just share a couple of those that stand out to you as having been really helpful in the long run, that would be great. Probably when things get the most intense. One thing that I found that's been just such an amazing tool in my toolkit, shall we say, is let's just think of those days when nothing is going right. Everybody's just kind of on fire, right? Just running around everybody. Like I can't pull it together. I just can't pull it. Like I've tried. I've tried, you know, because these things, these things still happen. These days still happen. With all these ideas, you still have all these ideas. I do not have it all together with all these ideas that still gets out of hand sometimes. We came up with what we call chocolate mountain breath. And I know you love this one, Lynn. Everybody loves chocolate. So do my kids. Yes, we do. I keep stocked. Don't tell them, but they're up in my file cabinet locked away. (laughs) The big chocolate chunks, like chocolate chips that you'd make like chocolate chunk chip cookies with. I say, hey, and I went through a season of teaching them belly breaths with this. Okay. So this is after I've said, I've, I've taught them what this is and how to do this. And now all I have to say is, hey, who wants to take a chocolate mountain breath? And everybody comes running and they say, I do, I do. And what I have in my hand is three little chocolate, dark chocolate chunks, because those have less sugar in them. And everybody finds a spot on the couch or the floor. And we found it has to be fully away from any other touching any other person. (laughs) (laughs) No touching anybody else. And we lay down and I put one chocolate chunk on their belly. And to teach them the belly breath, I said, push that chocolate up to make a mountain so that they're learning to push their tummy up with their breath. And so they do three belly breaths or what we call chocolate mountain breaths and and kind of push that chocolate chunk up and then they get to eat the chocolate. And once they've done one, sometimes they keep it and save it for later and collect theirs or they can eat it Uh and then they can do get two more, you know, chocolate chips for three more breaths. And by the time we're done with that, everybody is just chill. It is amazing how it just changes the whole temperature of the house. I'm calm. They're calm. We're happy because we're eating chocolate. (laughs) This is great. And by that time, I've had enough, you know, thoughts that I've been able to pull together to say, hey, you know, what we were doing before wasn't quite working. How about we go outside and jump rope together? Or, hey, I see that June's trying to get, you know, such and such done. Maybe you could go into the other room and do that. And we can kind of regroup or 
sometimes it's that good old redo that Lynn and Jim taught me, you know, hey, who wants a redo? Let's try that again. You know, it's just a great way to regroup. Okay, Amy, give us one more before we close the show. Well, you know, sometimes there were just days where, you know, things just were not, especially early on when things weren't starting great from the beginning, I would actually start the day with sensory activities. And one of my favorite, or I should say one of my kids' favorite was the burrito roll. And this is one that Lynn taught me in meeting with her. And it was just that deep pressure that is just so calming and so comforting and just, just really neurologically connective. And so I'd say, who wants to be a burrito. And so we'd, I'd fold a blanket up and they would lay down on the floor and I'd roll them really tight in the burrito. And I'd usually sing a song or a poem or do something silly. And we're just making it fun and connective. And we're just all having fun together at the same time. And boy, this is when I could actually pick up the kids, you know, but, and then I would (laughs) take them and swing them. And I I probably had some kind of song and I, oh yeah, it was one for the money, two for the show, three to get ready. (laughs) And then I could unroll them onto the couch and kind of swing them out onto the couch and they twist out of the blanket and we'd do it a few times. And by that time that gave them some connective pressure, that calming pressure and uh, connective time. And it sort of helped us regroup and start the day together. I love that. But Lynn, you have to tell us like, that sounds like creating chaos and even amping up a child. So how is that so calming (laughs) and regulating for kids? (laughs) Well, it depends on how you do it, you know, and if you don't mind getting them a little riled up, as long as they're, you know, happy when they're done, you can usually guide them to something with more structure and rhythm, but you can also do it pretty slowly and sing a slower song as you unroll them. Amy was gracious enough to send us a video of her husband doing that. And boy, did he whip them out. (laughs) (laughs) It just goes to show that the different kids need different things. And I don't know that we could transition from that immediately to a calm thing when things are just kind of going off the wall that allowed them to calm and meet us and engage us and be focused instead of just sort of everything being chaotic if you will and so it was a powerful tool in that way yeah and you can build structure into it like you know you talk roll you over once roll you over twice we're almost done there you go. So you just build in that rhythm and then you might count to when you're going to unroll them. So you're, you can provide that structure, but that's very relational, especially when you're working to do eye contact as you're rolling and unrolling. And that's that thing. Now you've got relationship going and then you can guide them into a little more structure. It's like, okay, who wants to do a bear walk out to the kitchen for a snack? And then you can put even now let's go to get the chores. (laughs) There you go. Oh, I love it. I think everybody just got a little mini OT session from Lynn on how to do the burrito roll in slow ways and fast ways. You can actually see Amy's kids doing the burrito roll in our free online course, seven activities to calm and focus your child. Seven practical. Yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's our free online course that we have on our website. And we'll have the link to that in our show notes for sure. I mean, what I love is that actually there's just so many sensory things that you've mentioned, Amy, in this show today that I would think are just normal everyday things. Taking your kids out. Let's go jump rope for a minute. That's sensory. We just, you know, let's just play games and use our mind and our hands. The breaths was sensory. There's just so much in how you describe 
described ordering your life that are for kids who are sensitive and intense. And so that's why I just, that's why I said this episode of all episodes was just so practical. Yeah. Thanks for being with us, Amy. Thanks, Lynn. This was really fun today. It was fun. Thanks for joining us, Amy. Thanks, everybody. Hey, friends. Thanks for joining us today. Check out our show notes for any of the links that we mentioned. And while you're there, please rate and review this podcast. If the episode was useful for you, consider sharing it with a friend. For more information, go to connectedfamilies.org. I'll see you next time. Hey.